the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Let me put it in today's context. They hear a sermon. They get up at the close. They greet somebody at the door. They get in their car. They go to lunch. And they never think about anything they've heard. Nothing. Nothing. They've sat through a 45, 50, maybe 55, 60-minute sermon, and they do nothing about it. And they come back next week, and they go through the same motions, and it never dawns on them to do anything. There's never a change. 19th century poet James Whitcomb Riley once wrote, When I see a bird that walks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, I call that bird a duck. But in the spiritual realm, appearances can be deceiving. A person may go to great effort to look like a Christian. They not only trick others into thinking they are saved, but they fool themselves. However, there is one person that no one can fool, and he is the one who will determine our eternal fate. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Verse by Verse. It's a daily radio Bible class led by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's messages make the leap from the pulpit to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. Today's class is the final part of a three-part message from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. It is about the wise man and the foolish man. How can we know if we have wisely built our lives on the solid foundation of Christ's words? I hope that by the end of today's broadcast, you will know for sure what you need to do if you have not already taken that step. Our main text is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. But let's start first by going to 1 John chapter 2. Now, all of 1 John is about how we can assure ourselves that we really know Christ. If you're struggling with assurance, am I really a Christian or, or maybe I've never trusted Christ? Well, 1 John is the book you need to read because John gives a series of tests how we can observe whether we're really believers or not. And he tells us in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, by this, we know that we've come to know him. By what, John? How do we know that we've come to know him? He says, if we keep his commandments. Now, John is not talking about perfect keeping of his commandments. He's talking about the the longing of our hearts, that, that general attitude that says, here's what the word says, and I want to obey it. That's my, that's my approach to scripture. I don't just learn it for the sake of learning it. I hear it and I want to obey it. And he says, the one who says, I have not, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God 
has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So John is saying true believers desire and they do obey the word of God, even if it's not perfect obedience. Those who think they are believers, but they are not, do not obey. And they're liars, John said. No matter what their profession is, they're liars. It, it's not true. Because if you really were converted, you'd have to obey. You can't live a life of disobedience. There, there's going to be obedience. So, true believers obey. On the other hand, pseudo-false Christians may believe the Bible. They may believe the Bible from cover to cover. But they consistently fail to practice what the Bible teaches. They may hear the word preached. They may even have a deep respect and reverence for its truths especially if you were raised in a home that, that respected the Bible, or as we said before, in, in the deep south where the Bible belt is, there's just a cultural respect for Scripture. You might even be a diligent student of Scripture. I know individuals who know the Bible quite well, but they consistently walk away from sermon after sermon without the Word having any impact on their lives. No impact at all. They are what James referred to in his little letter as hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Now, I want you to notice exactly what James says about people like this. So let's look at James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. This is important that you understand this because this is, if this fits you, you need to do something about it before it's too late. James chapter 1, verse 22. James says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is very interesting. James urges us to be the kind of people who do God's word rather than merely hear it. Now, it's important that we hear it. You have to hear it first to do it. But we need to go beyond hearing it. We need to take it a step further and apply to our lives what we hear from Scripture. Now, it is very interesting that the Greek word that James used for hearers was an ancient word used for an auditor. An auditor, as you know, in an educational setting is someone who comes to class, he listens to the lectures, but he doesn't do any assignments because he's not taking the class for credit. He doesn't really care. He's not taking the class for credit. That's what James says someone who only hears the word is like. He's auditing God's word. He comes to church, he listens to the word preached, and then he just leaves without doing what the word says. The Bible has absolutely no impact on his life. There are no changes he makes in response to what he's just heard. Now, James tells us that those who only hear without ever obeying scripture, he said they delude themselves. What he means by that is that they deceive themselves into thinking that they are Christians when in reality they are not. They are what someone referred to as sermon tasters who never tasted the grace of God. Just tasted a sermon here, sermon there, but they've never tasted of the richness of God's grace and salvation. James goes on to very vividly illustrate what people who hear the word are like. Look at this. This is really very, very fascinating. Verses 23 and 24, he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. 
James tells us a person who only hears the word without responding to it is like someone who looks at himself in a mirror and sees what changes are needed on his appearance. Perhaps he missed a spot in, in shaving or he's got some dirt on his face, or his hair needs to be combed. If it's a woman, perhaps she needs some more lipstick, or maybe some makeup, or something of that nature. But after looking at himself and realizing what changes he needs to make, James says he he just walks away from the mirror. And he forgets to make those changes, just walks away. And he forgets. James is saying that those who are only hearers of the Bible are, are just like this man. The Word reveals the changes that they need to make in their lives. There's conviction of sin. The word is proclaimed. They, they have heard, this is what I need to do. But instead of making those changes, they just walk away and do nothing. They just put it out of their mind. Let me, let me put it in today's context. They hear a sermon. They get up at the close when Michael closes the, the um, service. They greet somebody at the door. They get in their car. They go to lunch. They have lunch and they never think about anything they've heard. Nothing. Nothing. They've sat through a 45, 50, maybe 55, 60-minute sermon and maybe longer time. And, and they do nothing about it. And they come back next week and they go through the same motions and it never dawns on them to do anything. There's never a change Or they might even have devotions and they read the word and the word says this and and there's never a heart cry, Lord, help me to do this. This is what I need to change. Never, never. Listen, if you are consistently like that, then you are like the foolish man of our Lord's parable, self-deceived into thinking you are a Christian, but you are not. Now, many people may join in assuming that you are saved because in many ways, your life can resemble a true Christian. You go to church like a real Christian. You sit under Bible teaching like a real Christian. You have Christian friends like real Christians have, and you even hold to certain biblical values like a real Christian. You, you, may, you may even have certain uh, uh, views and values, as we said, like a real Christian. But though you may look like a real believer on the surface, underneath the surface, your foundations are very different. You've chosen to neglect obeying God's word, and instead you've built your life upon the foundation of man's opinions, especially your own opinion. And though you may fit in well with other Christians, and nobody knows that you're not one, God does, and your true spirituality and your true spiritual condition will be revealed, the judgment. It'll be revealed in judgment. That's why, as Jesus continued his parable about the wise man and the foolish man, he tells us about a second area in their lives that was very different. First, the foundation of their lives were different. Foundations were different. Secondly, the ability of their houses to withstand the storm was different. We read in verses 25 and then 27. And the rain fell... And the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Verse 27, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and then Jesus added this, and great was its fall. When these two men built their respective homes, it must have been during the early days of 
of summer when it was dry season in Israel, but then the season changed and a storm came in, one of those terrible storms that sweep in from the Mediterranean Sea with cloudburst upon cloudburst upon cloudburst. And both houses, we're told, experienced the same terrors of this storm. The rains fell on both their roofs and the waters from the flooding rivers rose up against both of their houses and the winds battered the walls of of each house in the same way. But the result was very different, and that's the point here. Jesus said that the house that was built upon the foundation of rock, that house withstood the storm. But the house that was built on sand collapsed and was washed away in the flood. Now, what was our Lord's point in telling us about how these two houses handled the storm? He was not teaching, as many believe, that both believers and unbelievers experience various storms and trials in life. Now, that's true, but that's not the truth that he's making here. That's not the truth that he's, that he's bringing out here. It is true that physical catastrophes and trials in life tend to reveal the character of, of our lives. That is a truism, but that is not the truism that Jesus is referring to here. The storm that he's talking about is not a, a storm in the sense of a trial. The storm that Jesus is talking about is the ultimate storm and test. It's God's final judgment. This is why the Lord mentioned it in in verse 22. And he said, in that day, that day of judgment, when we stand before him. And that's what seems to be his emphasis when he speaks of the utter devastation of the house built on the sand. When he says it, it didn't just fall. He added, and great was its fall. In other words, it was completely destroyed in an overwhelming way so that nothing was left. That appears to be what the Lord is is stressing here. Listen, with these final words, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount is offering a strong warning to everyone that God's judgment for our sins is coming in the most severe, in the form of the most severe of storms. That's his point. And when it comes, only those who have built their lives on Christ and his righteousness and therefore his word will escape the judgment, because Christ has already been judged in their place. They have accepted his substitutionary death as a judgment for their sin, and therefore God will pass over their houses without judging them, just like he did in the Old Testament with the Israelites who sprinkled blood on their homes. When he saw the blood, we're told that he passed over, so they were spared judgment. But he will not pass over those who have built their lives upon the shifting sand of man's opinion, because instead of trusting Christ as their substitute savior from sin, they trusted and built their lives upon man's religious thoughts and his, his opinions and human philosophies. And none of that will help the day of judgment. None of that. And it won't simply be the things of this life that are swept away like, like a house. It will be eternal doom. They will be eternally lost In hell, the Bible says. That's the devastation of the storm he's talking about. This is the final warning about judgment that Jesus will give in the Sermon on the Mount. But it is the way he chose and a wonderful way he chose to close his sermon because it causes us to consider the real issue. Do we have a personal relationship with him? After listening to all of this sermon or however much you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, You need to ask yourself, am I a a wise and a true believer who has built my life upon Christ's word? Have I trusted 
his atoning death for me. And then from there, I, I now want to want to live my life in accord with his word. When I read his word, does it, does it matter? If it doesn't, then you're not a believer. No matter how many uh, times you walked an aisle, no matter how many times your parents may have said, oh no, you were, yes, you prayed with me when you were young. Yes, you're a Christian. Listen, well-meaning parents sometimes confuse their children by telling them they're Christians. You don't know if, if your child is a Christian. The evidence of whether they really are Christians or not is obedience to the word of God. So if you're a wise and true believer who's built his life on Christ and his word, then you don't need to fear judgment. But if you're a foolish and only a pretend believer who hears his word but doesn't apply it to your life, then you do need to be very, very concerned about judgment. But you can do something about that. You can make sure you're a doer of the word and it begins by trusting him to save you, by believing on his son with a belief that says, I turn from my sin, that's repentance, and I trust Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of my sins. So be very careful, especially if you've grown up in a Bible-believing church where you've always heard the word and that almost everybody around you speaks of the word and is a believer. Make sure that you have acted on Christ's words. Make sure. Make sure. So the Sermon on the Mount ends, and it ends really the same way it, be, it began, by calling us to be distinct and different from non-Christians, because non-Christians reject the word. Citizens of the kingdom live by the word. And when Jesus finished his sermon, what was the response of the people who heard him? Matthew tells us the response. These are his inspired comments in verses 28 and 29. Matthew says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now, what does he mean by this? The people were absolutely amazed because they had never heard anything like this. Now, when Matthew says that, that he spoke as one having authority, doesn't mean that Jesus spoke in a deeper voice than anybody else. It doesn't mean that he, he was able to project his voice beyond what others could. What he's talking about is this, the kind of teaching that, that these Jewish folks were accustomed to were the teachings of the, of the scribes and, and, and Pharisees who used to quote ancient rabbis as their source of authority. They, they would say something, and then they would say, and Rabbi Gamaliel says this about this, or Rabbi Hillel says this, or, or here's how Rabbi Akiba interprets this. And that was, that was their message. That was their message. It was just the rabbinical interpretations of their laws. But Jesus didn't do that. He never did that. Jesus didn't quote any so-called human authority or expert. He only quoted scripture and then he explained it. He said, here's what the scripture says. Here's what you've been taught. But I say to you this. Now, the reason he did that is because he was and is the final authority. Notice what, how he did this. I'll just go back to Matthew chapter 5 as an example in verse 21. You have, you have heard that the ancients were told. By saying this, he means you've heard this is what our ancestors were taught by the rabbis. You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. What he's saying is you have heard that the rabbis taught, they taught our people in ancient times, they're teaching them now, that the, uh, the commandment about don't commit murder is simply the physical aspect of murder. That's what they've been taught. But notice what he said in verse 22. 
But I say to you, meaning in contrast to your human teachers, I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. What he's saying is this. The rabbis have interpreted it this way. But I am telling you the way it really is. And Jesus was speaking with authority. He is the final authority. See, Jesus wasn't offering a human commentary on the Old Testament. That's what they had heard all their lives. He was the originator and source of Scripture. Therefore, he spoke as God to man. That's precisely what he's saying. The rabbi said this, but I, who am the source of Scripture, am telling you the correct interpretation of Scripture. And those who hear him and submit to his words, his authoritative words, which are the words of God, he says, are wise. And those who hear him and reject his authoritative words are foolish. Folks, the choice is yours. The choice is mine. If you build your life on what Christ said, you will escape the judgment. If you don't, you will not escape the judgment and you will be doomed eternally. Let's bow for prayer. As Lloyd-Jones said, this is a most pertinent message because this is directed at people who are familiar with the Bible. And what you have to determine today is this. Are you only familiar with the Bible in a head knowledge kind of way without applying it to your life? Can you sit under the word of God, hear the word, and do nothing about it? If that's the case consistently, then you need to examine your heart because you are not a true believer, no matter how much Bible information you know. You need to trust Christ, and I urge you to do that, and that's the point of this parable. Do it before judgment comes, before you die, and nobody knows when they're going to die. If, on the other hand, you are a person who claims to know Christ and you struggle with obeying, but you do obey, and you hear the word and you want to do what's right and you you put into practice what you hear even as you stumble along, then you can be assured you, you do know Christ. You're a wise person. God has made you wise. And you need to be encouraged to keep building your life on Christ's words. Keep, keep building every aspect of your life, your, your ethics, your marriage, your family, your finances, your morality. Every aspect, build it upon the word of God. Father, we thank you for allowing us as a church body to study this magnificent sermon your sermon, Lord. And we pray that long after we close our time together that your words will continue to impact our lives. May we not forget what you've taught us in these last months. Lord, may, may your word continue to influence us, change us, transform us. May we refer back to it. May we make changes in our lives. May, Lord, we be doers of the word. I pray for those, Lord, who can sit week after week and yet do nothing about the word. I pray that they will be aware and convicted that they are not Christians regardless of uh, what they've thought up to this point. And I pray that they will repent and truly trust the Savior. And there would be that evidence of transformation. Lord, we thank you that our lives can be built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his word. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.
I think that most of us who have put our trust in Jesus stumble along, wanting to be more Christ-like, at least part of the time. Knowing that the passion to be like Christ is an indication that we are converted should be a great comfort to us. And if we are not concerned about sin in our lives, we need to wake up to that alarm system before it is too late. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you would like to listen to today's class again or any previous ones, please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. While you are there, I hope you will click on the Support Us link. We have information about giving in general, as well as contact information if you would like to support this ministry. That's versebyverseradio.org. In addition, you can order a CD or a cassette with the whole message that Pastor Steve concluded today. You can call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Please join us for the next verse by verse as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by W262CP. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.